Episode 6 of Kicking Grass. I am your host, Dave Walding, the original Lobo Verde. Conspicuous in his absence today, unfortunately, is my normal co-host, Rob Novak. So today, in the absence of Rob, we've got our good friend, Harry Austin, coming on to talk with us today. How are you doing, Harry? Doing well. Is uh, Rob uh, checking out houses in Fort Worth? Is, is that why, uh, you know, unfortunately, he's not here? Well, Rob's had a really, really rough go of it. We're going to cut Rob a little bit of slack this week. He <laughs> He's dealing with the whole Fort Worth issue. And then I had to uh, break some bad, bold slash coda news to him this week that I don't think he took very well. Even if he says it's not a big deal, I think it's a bigger deal than he's letting on. And then we got the Detroit city news. So I don't think he's real pleased with that either. He's just had a bad soccer week. Let's be fair to Rob. He's got so much going on here. He's yes. Got refereeing family, right. work, life, real estate business. Um, not only refereeing, but he's ref coordinator, which these days is just an insane nightmare position to hold. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll say Rob is overworked and cut him a little bit of slack and we hope to see Rob again back in the saddle pretty soon. We want to start out with uh, your favorite team, Austin FC. Yeah, let's give a little bit of a season wrap on Austin FC, because since the last show, I guess I've had three Austin FC matches that we can discuss. Um, there was the fiasco that was FC Dallas, which finally got me to say Wolf out. I know you and I have both been a little bit wolf ambivalent up to now or wolf wait and see. I don't know, but that Dallas match. Okay. So explain this to me. I made the trip with the supporters group, mm -hmm. which I'm happy that I did once and once is probably going to do it because I don't think that's really going to be my thing going forward You're on my trips. Yeah. The party bus. I took the crazy party bus, which wasn't that crazy. And instead of the calm party bus, which I don't think was very calm. I really don't think there was too much difference in the two. It's great to go with the supporters though. I love the way they bring the energy and the passion on the away trips and everything. However, it clued me into a lot of insight that I wouldn't have if I hadn't made the trip with them. So I'm, I'm really glad I did it. Um, however, the game itself, we're up in Dallas, Austin scores first. It is Copa Texas. Austin wins, they take Copa Tejas. Right, Dallas, whoever won this, well, whoever well, won Dallas this. Dallas could tie as well. Could so tie, right, yeah. Dallas with a win or draw takes Copa Tejas. Austin gets the first goal. Dallas mm -hmm. comes back almost instantaneously, ties it up. Two minutes later. Right, 1-1 one, one at half. The first half was a pretty decent matchup, I thought. They, they were pretty evenly matched, and it was a pretty good game in the first half, from what I could see from the supporters group section, but... Then we get into the second half. Again, 1-1. So at this point, Dallas has the upper hand for Copa Tejas. And we get a highly questionable, I would say, red card. Did you? What did you think about that red card? Did you see this at all? I saw it. It's soft, but I, yeah. 
as a neutral, I think you can kind of see it either way. Um, but yeah, let me rewatch it here. <laughs> I just w- when I watched it the first time, and like I said, I just caught a, you know one time and, and moved on from it. It didn't. It wasn't something that was an obvious miscall. Now it's something to where. You know, I would you, say eight times out of ten that would not be called though. Eh, what what makes the call is because well, know, he the, called the, it the, a, a last man. Obviously, which he was. There, there's no there's no dispute that it was a last man. Right. And if you're gonna call a foul, it has to be a red card. Okay. So if you're gonna call a foul, that's what it is. Now, did the Dallas player slow down and absorb the contact? Yeah, yeah. Well, you could probably have a pretty good argument for that. Yeah, but technically speaking, if you're gonna call a foul, it has to be a red card. Well, and I, to, to me, looking at it here, and, and like I said here, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, just looking at the preview here. To me, the bigger question is: Was he offsides? Because he was a good three, four yards mm-hmm. in front you know, you know, of, of the play. And unfortunately on the camera, it doesn't, you know, on the replay, it doesn't really show him. Um, but there was contact. It's soft contact. Um, and the Dallas player sold it, but that's, you know, you see that every week and you, they put it in the, in the referee's hands and. And he, that, he, that's what you get, right? He made that call. <laughs> there, there was contact. There was there, contact. I think it was very, it's more on the foul, and, and to me, was the player onside. And, and that's something that, you know, I, I didn't go through and rewatch it or, you know, kind of cue it up, you know, in the different angles that, you know, sometimes you're able to see. Right. Those are, those are the two big questions, though. Was there enough contact deserving of a foul in the first place? Well, he went down, so they're going to – he went down. So you're either going to call the red card – or you're going to call simulation, which is, you know, I saw that call, that, you know, that happened against Austin later on, uh, you know, in, in the match. So well, I was going to say, Cecilio goes down three or four times every match and he's not <laughs> getting red cards all over the place to either side. So, but so uh, I just don't think that's normal. That's not on Wolf, though. That That's not on Wolf, you know. That's not on Wolf. No, here's, here's my problem with Wolf. And this is my question, which I'm getting. Did you mentioned, because, you know, to be fair, um, I may have had the game on, but I didn't watch it super close, uh, you know, for it because I was watching some other games that night. I didn't think Austin played poorly, especially when you take that red card, you know, at the 58, 60th minute, they played the last 30 minutes down a man. Right. And that, that gets to my point as to where I made my decision of Wolf out. You're at this Copa Tejas match. You're out of everything. I mean, you're battling last place in the West. You're out of playoff contention. The only thing possible that you have in the entire season left is Copa Tejas, and you're playing for it in that game, 58th minute. You get the red card, okay? You go down a man. What does he do? He instantaneously takes off Musa Jite, takes off your one and only striker in that position, takes a team that has not been able to do it all year and says, try to absorb pressure, and counterattack with no striker? I, I, I don't get it. He was playing at that point for a draw, obviously. What in the hell does a draw do for you? It's those or, type of decisions that or, drive me insane with, with this coach. 
What or, are you playing for a tie? Or your forward that's a DP that signed. I don't believe he ever played a full 90, right? He has never played. The season is so, over. He never once played a full 90. If, let's say, it's a quote-unquote fitness issue, it was minutes. not. It was a direct result. No, 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 no. I know, but he's not playing a full 90 for some reason. Now, you and I, 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 I don't know that reason, and I'm pretty sure you don't know that reason, and I don't even know if any, any of the Austin FC fans know that reason on why your DP that you brought in is not is not playing DP minutes. Correct. However, even if you're saying he's not going to go 90, that was the 58th minute. 58. He went 58 minutes. There's no reason to sub him off at that particular point in time and put on a defender in a game that you have to win, that you don't need any other games the rest of the that's your last, For all intents and purposes, that's your last game. There's nothing else you're playing for. I mean, yes, the next game was great. Yes, it's you have two left in the season. I'm glad we weren't last place and we're better than Houston Dynamo, like I've been telling everybody all season. They're the worst team. However, that was the one and only game that meant anything in the rest of the season. It didn't matter if you lost the rest of the games. Nothing mattered after that point. Why at the 58th minute, going a man down, do you take off your one and only striker and put on a defender and try to absorb pressure? I mean, that's that's to, that to me is just mind-bogglingly insane and for a coach to, to do that in that position. Against Houston, he went 68 minutes, or he played 68 minutes. And then looking at his things back October uh, 2nd, October 16th, um, October, you know, September 26th, he did 72, 82, and 80. But every other game that he had beyond then was – around that 60 minute time frame, 60 minutes to halftime, um, that, that, you know, that, that he played again, it's just a, the wrong sub. Okay. So take, take him off and put on McKenzie Gaines. Yeah. Who came on right at the end of the game, right at the very end of the game when it was pointless, <laughs> but to me, <laughs> these, are, these are the decisions that don't make any sense to me. Check, check again. If you want to check again and look at his minutes on, uh, the game against Kansas city. He played four four days later against Kansas City. And yeah, how many minutes did Musa have? He played okay. sixty some minutes again. Okay, would it be better against, for him against, to play longer against Dallas and then not play at all against Kansas City? But here here's the problem with the Copa Teos uh, discussion for you know for Austin. They lost Copa Teos that first Dallas match. Well, and whose fault was that? Well, I'm not disputing that, <laughs> but I don't. I don't put Copa Teos on this match. I put Copa Teos going back to – because at that point, Austin if, – if memory serves me right, Austin FC had momentum. They thought right. they were going to go in. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if Dallas was missing players or something, but it was, it was something to where you – know, it was a busy time in, you know, on the schedule. Sure. But, but at that time – Austin FC had not bought into Copa Teos like they did this last match when when they had then all of a sudden, hey, we're for Copa Teos when, you know, pretty much the matches before it was Copa what? Exactly. Uh, totally, con- totally conceded that point. But, uh, my point is, and again, you're 10 men against Dallas in Dallas. You're not a great team. You might not win that game anyway. My point is not that they didn't win Copa Teos, that he lost them Copa Teos in that game. It's that he didn't try. He tried to tie. 
in a, against a team that you hadn't been able to stop all season. They scored how many goals? Eight goals in two games on you, and you're going to try to shut them out with ten men? I, no, I, it just doesn't make any sense. You're, you probably wouldn't have won the game anyway, but you should at least try to win the game. And mm-hmm. the fact that you don't try, and he's done this over and over and over again throughout the season where he just gives up on games entirely. So and you I think just, he overreacted to going down I mean, Yeah, I, I mean, I don't understand. Well, what position does Jimenez play? Well, he's a midfielder though, right? He's usually right back. So was he because the the so the sub that they put in was a center a center back Colomac uh, uh, or Colmanic? No, he's uh, also usually uh, either a left or right back. It was a you lost a defender, put on a defender to replace him and sacrifice your only striker. Is what so if so if you're not subbing in, if you're not taking off, you know the forward at then who are you taking off? Or are you going just trying to switch to three in the back? Um, I'm definitely not playing with zero forwards in a game where you have to score a goal. <laughs> That's the only thing I can tell you. Right, but from from his standpoint, mm-hmm. you you lost the defender. You mentioned that we give up your Austin FC gives up goals left and right to Dallas. Yes. If you lose a defender, you're the tactics have to change. Correct. So. Are you running with three in the back? Which I think that's what you're leaning to is, you know, hey, if if we lose, it was 1-1 at that time. You know, if we lose 2-1, 3-1, 4-1, but, you know, we've got the forwards, you know, you know in, you know, for, however the game played out, if they were lost by multiple goals, you're saying you would have been happy with that as opposed to, hey, we're going to tighten up the defense. And, you know, he's probably thinking, hey, maybe we can try to get, get you know, try to get a, a counter because, um, six well, that, minutes later, he subs out uh, 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 Dominguez and, and, and brings in uh, um, uh, was it Pochettino or Pochettino. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can do a like to like. No, you got to change something sub there. tactically. Right. Right. You have to change. Ta- either you sub like he did, you bring on the defender. Now you could argue, you know, who should have came out, maybe somebody in the midfield or not. You, you can't counterattack without a striker. I mean, you just can't do that. That There's no universe where that's going to work. The way you would counterattack, which we're not going to be a very good absorb pressure and counterattack team. We've not done that all season, right? But the way you could do that is to sit back, absorb pressure, and have somebody like Mackenzie Gaines, who is the fastest player on the field for either team probably, make that, that long ball run. But you still had Drusi, you still had uh, uh, Dominguez, you still had uh, was it Fagundes, uh, number fourteen, uh, who who did have the goal, the goal and and ha- has been fairly productive. So you still had talent on there. So it, it's not like but you the, didn't have the scheme, you didn't have the the philosophy, you didn't have the tactics to try to. I mean, it, watching the game, it was obvious to me they weren't attempting to counterattack and get a goal. They were trying to sit back, absorb, and finish out 1-1. And I, I don't get why you would do that. Why in the world would you play for a draw? I mean, at an earlier point in the season, you would do that, but not in that particular game in that particular circumstance. And that's the frustrating part to me, is that his decisions don't match the circumstances. 
Yeah. Like you and said, I, resting the players and taking a strange tactic in that first game against FC Dallas. That's not the game to do that. That was the game to go beat your in-state rival in the first ever matchup with FC Dallas when you're on a hot streak and they're down. That's when you go take it to them. And, and he didn't a, do that. And you had a great, you had a great, you know, Austin FC crowd up there, which to me, that was the disappointing thing. Um, right. And there's multiple instances of that throughout the season. But my only point is that was the moment to me, the last 30 minutes of that match where I said, Wolf is not the coach for this team. And that's the breaking line for you. Was, yep. You know, he, he didn't get, he didn't get the job done against Dallas and, you know, it's, and again, it's, I'm not going off the result. I'm going off the intent. He didn't try to get the result. But the result matters, though. It's the, the, the biggest frustration that I have with Austin, and, it, and it, I guess it kind of feeds into that, is, and this is his first year. Correct. The, the players is the players who he's got, you know. But, you know, did, did Coach Wolf manage the players to the best let, you know, and I think I said this before, you know, when we were on early, you know, what the first episode or along those lines, second episode, whatever it was. If you're going to go with this young team with the young DPs along those lines, Austin FC needed an older coach, a veteran coach that can manage that could, you know, could could manage the tactics, especially on a first year team. When you're going with a you know, young team, especially on the DPs, because that's really where it matters, matters and you're going with a young coach, it's a learning curve for both. And, and that's and that's why, to me, it comes down to are we looking at the short term or are we looking at the long term, you know, you know, for Austin FC? Um, I don't get the sense that Wolf has lost the fan base yet, but it, it is in question. Well, that I, is why I said it was very interesting to me to make the trip with the supporters group because that was my sense as well until I made that trip and I can pretty definitively say he's lost, he's lost the supporters. vast majority of the supporters group. And I think that's a really bad sign. Yeah. So moving on from the Austin match uh, or for me from the Dallas match, um, they come home midweek uh, against Kansas city um, and real uh, kudos to, you know, to Austin FC, you know, the, uh, they impacted the playoffs because uh, they got a pretty convincing 3-1 win uh, against Sporting Kansas City, which, you know, you know, hindsight puts, you know, put them in third and allowed Colorado to be able to move into uh, the number one slot. And then, of course, their final match um, at Portland, um, you know, a 3-0 loss on that. So any comments or feelings outside of uh, the November uh, three points in two matches, uh, you know, home and away? Well, just that you got to see, I think those last two matches were the epitome of the issue. You can absolutely take to the woodshed a team like Kansas City, who's one of the best in the league this season, mm -hmm. and then look like you've never stepped on a field before against Portland in the very next game. It's and they that, had pretty good results against Portland, if memory serves me right. That, that was their only first and only loss to Portland so far. Um, yeah. And I know it's a road trip, and I know it was the last game of the season. I know Portland had a little bit to play off uh, implications in that mm -hmm. game. Uh, not a whole lot to play for, but 
Austin had nothing to play for either. It's just the dichotomy of the, when people tell me it's a talent issue, I can look to games like the first two Portland matchups, like the Seattle matchups, uh, LA Galaxy, this Kansas City game, and say that shows that the talent is there to make those results. They get really convincing wins sometimes against some of the best teams in the league. Then they look like they don't know what they're doing the very next game. And that that's the frustrating part of this season for uh, those of us who are following Austin FC is that it doesn't seem that the results match the talent. And then that goes back to coaching. Correct. <laughs> to and me, that, that goes back to coaching. Yes. That, that goes back to the tactics. You know, was it, you know, pre-court being pre-court? And, and, and I have that to kind of in a something... snarky way, um, but, it, you know, just looking at his history as far as, you know, spending and coaches along those lines. The only problem with that, the team with the lowest payroll finished first in the West. Right. How in the world did they do that? I did not – they don't I, have any. I they saw have one, Colorado they have one. was first placed in the West. I was like, who? What? How did that happen? I was, it's going to be Kansas City or Seattle or Seattle or Kansas City. And then all of a sudden it's Colorado. And I was like, that came out of nowhere for me. I wasn't. And got a DP that doesn't really play. Correct. So it's, yeah. it's all, you know, young kids drafted, you know, throwaway players, you know, you know, you know, from there. And it goes to coaching. It, it, it's, it does now. Uh, being a, a, a Rapids fan, you know, a distant Rapids fan, we've seen Rapids where they'll have a great year, and then the next two, three years, they, they come back to reality. That and, and that's that's the good thing and bad thing about MLS is that there is parity to where one year you you can you can make a run and 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 do well, um, and then next year you know you're like, what happened? So, well, I guess I will take the positives from the season if i can do that for austin fc would be that they are not the worst team in the west that would be houston dynamo uh houston dynamo parted ways with their coach so tab ramos is gone uh then you've got fc dallas which yes they finished a couple of points ahead of austin but that's got to be just an awful result for them of the season again they parted ways with their coach a little while back given the expectations for the season for fc dallas so i don't think many people expected either austin or houston to be in the playoffs most people expected fc dallas to be there they're there I expected dallas i won't lie i expected dallas to be in the playoffs right and you've got previous years you've got players like pepe and ferreira and, and you've got a pretty good squad or you do until you sell them off but i mean that's fc dallas right so i gosh i don't know what to say to fc dallas fans except have fun with copa Tejas for a year so the 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 positives you know so there's probably three positives that i've seen you know from austin fc um one the fan culture uh you know especially the supporters groups you know los verdes you know the uh, austin anthem um, you know, doing outstanding, uh, the fans in Portland, you know, gave high praise, you know, to the traveling fans for, you know, for their, um, so number one, you know, the fan support, um, number two, I'll give a credit to, uh, pre-court and the state, you know, stadium developers, um, all the issues that, you know, we swore we were going to hear about, you know, parking, getting in and out of the games. 
even the first game, I never heard any of any of that. They they hadn't, you know, and and they're going to be building it, building on it in, in the future. But you know, the infrastructure that they did, they did it right. Now, you know, you can qualm and, and say, hey, there's some things that they need to work on, but it wasn't the disaster that that a lot of us thought that was going to happen. And then number three, uh, out of the uh, teams in Texas, they did get the most wins. Um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, what what Austin has to has to do is is learn to be able to not give up. You know that tie. You know that one-one draw, or you know, you know, late, and and end up giving up. You know, all three points away. And, and I think that happened on you know several occasions where um, last 15, 20 minutes, you know, of the game, they, they would cough up the lead. And instead of walking away with one point, you know, they, they walked away with no points, you know, because they only had four ties all year, uh, which which equals the amount of wins by Cincinnati. Uh, but outside of that, I think the only one with four ties was Portland. Um, but, you know, of course, they had quite a few more wins. Right. Um, Austin can't do things like go up 3-0 at home to San Jose <laughs> and then lose 4-3. to I mean, you just cannot do that in this league. You can't do that. So, but I, I think for a first year, you know, you can, you can debate, you know, coach Wolf, whether he's going to be back or not. Um, you know, that's an interesting discussion. Um, Time would tell. I think most people believe he's going to be back. Um, I think he's going to be back. I think, I, I think it's 75% he's coming back. Um, unless, unless they can find it. And it kind of depends. Hey, are they going to open up the budget a little bit for, um, you know, for, you know, for the staff, you know, cause they've got the facilities and, and all those, you know, everything lined up now. It's it, to me, it's just a matter of, you know, with the pieces that they brought in, um, you know, what they can do. And, and I think the biggest issue with uh, who is it that retired? Uh, Matt Beasler just retired. Matt Beasler retired. Uh, the biggest need is center backs, you know, Absolutely. shoring up that defense, you know, is, is trying to see, what they can and can't do or what they can do to, to try to bring that. And that goes on Claudio. So. And I will give one more positive for Austin FC is I thought the later signings. So I think both Driussi and Musa Jite are absolute home run signings. Um, I even thought they did a good job with McKenzie Gaines. I think for, for what he is bringing him in, he's going to be a good solid player for Austin FC going forward. So what, so assuming Wolf's back, what changes do you, do you want? Do you want changes on the staff underneath him, you know, to where maybe bringing in kind of like a veteran, you know, assistant coach that we can, you know, help guide him a little bit more or you, you, you think he'll, he'll make a, a huge jump between year one and year two. I think that's the only hope if he's going to be back. I don't think changing assistance or anything around him is going to make any difference because the, the, the problems have been his decisions, mostly in-game decisions, halftime. Austin FC, how many goals did they come out the start of the second half and give up goals in the first minute or two? I mean, that happened all season long over and over again. So it's been these in-game decisions, the substitutions have been strange, the tactics have been suspect, the playing balls around in the back and giving up goals is odd to me. I, I don't see any other aspects of the game other than the actual match day game management 
that's an issue. So I don't see how, unless you're going to bring in a trainer who can get your VP match fit after he's been match fit in France for, you know, however long, but anyway, I, I don't see how anything's going to make a difference with Wolf as the head coach, unless Wolf himself is different in year two from the way he was in year one. So I have one non-Austin FC uh, MLS question here for you. Absolutely. So the playoffs, uh, yes. which start on the 21st, I believe. At, right uh, after well, actually the... the 20th, pardon me, the 20th. First matches on the 20th, uh, Sporting Kansas City and Vancouver, uh, followed by, wow, they got them spaced out. Is it, well, to me, it's just crazy on how they have the MLS playoffs. <laughs> Correct. But on ABC, you're putting Atlanta United, and I understand why you pick Atlanta United. I don't, I understand why you're doing that. But the game you're going to pick is Atlanta against uh, NYCFC at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. From all accounts I've heard, Yankee Stadium is a very poor place to play soccer. You know, Horrible, it's, and it's terrible on TV. <laughs> terrible on TV. I don't understand on that same day you've got Portland, Minnesota, you know, I know it's a little bit later, you know, but I'm assuming they could have, you know, adjusted the Portland time, although that would have put it at uh, 11 a.m. Portland time, which might have been the issue. I just don't understand the thinking of that. And then my other issue that I have, if you're a number one seed, Colorado doesn't play until the 25th. Mm-hmm. New England doesn't play until the 30th. Right. What, what, and I understand they're doing the seven. Why not just do the eight, you know, top eight? Because that's, in my opinion, that's a huge disadvantage for Colorado and, and, and New England. Colorado, not so much because it's only four days between Portland and, uh, you know, on the 21st to the 25th. So that's kind of in the neighborhood. But you're going nine days from New York City, to, you know, they played what day? Saturday, right? Saturday, Sunday, or they played Sunday. Decision so day they, was Sunday, yeah. Yeah, so they played on Sunday. So they're going to go a, a full three weeks without playing a game. Correct. And I understand there's the international break, and I understand that. But to me, it's a huge disservice to, uh, you know, to New England, you know, for doing that, you know, for doing that. And I just don't – I think if you're going to have that long of a break, just bring in the 18. You're, you know – because I think you're penalizing Colorado and New England for, you know, for, for winning the conference. I agree with you, although I would say that I think this year is unique because of the timing, because of COVID um, and the international window hitting when it did and the way things broke on the schedule. I don't think that's – I think normally the philosophy is that providing them an automatic pass to the next round and some extra time to rest up is a positive. This year, I agree with you. It's definitely not beneficial to either one of those teams to have that long of a break before they get to play their first playoff game. I think that's, that's a problem this season. I disagree with that in general and Colorado couldn't rest players because they didn't get the, the last, the, the, you know, the number one seed until, 
you know, when, when everything shook out last Sunday. Right. New England's had the number one seed locked up for weeks. Uh, completely agree. So, with that. Yeah. you know, if you've got the number one seed locked up and what's the biggest advantage in, in the playoffs, it's form, it's being, you know, it's, you know, it's that consistency and I think they're playing what one, I think the series, the uh, first round is one, one match, right? Well, yes, and they've changed this almost every year. It's gotten frustrating, right? The way they do the playoffs in MLS. I'm been... like, how are they doing? <laughs> exactly. It's like every year is something different. But, right, it's that one-and-done format. So if you're, uh, do- if you're doing a one-and-done, to me, and this is something that I wish USL will do, is if you're going to do the eight teams, because I think for a, you know, what there's, what, 15, 16 teams – in right. the league, if, you, if you're going to have seven, you might as well have eight. The, the other advantage, though, is home field. So being first seed, you get home field throughout, and that throughout. should be a decent advantage for New England and Colorado. Uh, we'll see. I, 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 even though Colorado's got the first, <clears throat> first slot, I don't know if they get out of the West. Um, I still I, think I wouldn't pick them. I would pick either Seattle or Kansas <clears throat> City, which would be most likely the semifinal on the other side. You know, I'm assuming Portland, Minnesota. That's that's a pretty even match as well. Right. It, w- it wouldn't shock me that Colorado gets to the finals, um, the conference finals. That is, but yeah, going against uh, Seattle or Kansas City, you know, I think that's going to be a tough road. Uh, when, when it comes, especially playoff times, uh, especially with Seattle. Exactly. Um, New England, I, I, New England's just been on such a roll. Um, I so want to pick against New England just to be different. It's hard to do that the way they But who, who, who in the East, you know, Nashville? No, it would be Orlando. Orlando is the team that I think could upset New England. I don't think they get past Nashville, though. Well, Nashville's <laughs> good at home. That's the issue. They're, they're right. to succeed. Right. Um, NYC, you know, Atlanta United. Which is why I don't think I can pick against New England because I think the team that can beat them is Orlando City, and I don't know that Orlando City makes it. Because I, I think Philadelphia gets by the Red Bulls. Um, I personally think Nashville gets by Orlando City, but let's say if they do, I don't know if Orlando can go on the road, you know, you know, against the Union and defeat them there. Um, that's why they play the games. Absolutely. I guess we'll see. I. I can't pick against New England, though, in the East, the way they've been playing. So I have to say it's going to be New England probably for MLS Cup this year. But we'll see. I think we have run out of our allotted MLS time on this discussion. <laughs> so I, let's get to – yes. <laughs> right? Let's get to something much more exciting for Harry Austin take advantage and talk some USL because, boy, USL has been fun. The West has been fun. So just to kind of, before we get into the SAFC, uh, you know, details here. So round one in the East, uh, the Rowdies uh, rolled over Tulsa, you know, like the last, there was three goals in, in the last 90 minutes, it ended up 6-2. Um, Birmingham and Pittsburgh, uh, unfortunately, had a COVID issue with Pittsburgh. So that game was abandoned, um, but because it was Pittsburgh that could not travel, um, it had the COVID issue. Basically, they forfeited, so the Legion advanced, which, uh, you know, it's bad news for both teams because um, for the Riverhound fans, they had a pretty good team that, you know, they were interested to see how far they could go, you know, and to be able to 
go out of the playoffs without even playing. You know, nobody wants to see that. For the Legion, um, <clears throat> they're going to have a home playoff game. It's going to be sold out. It's supposed, you know, supposed to be a really great time. And unfortunately, the fans didn't get the opportunity, and now they have to go on the road. On the other side of the bracket, Louisville took care of Miami 1-0, and uh, Charlotte uh, took care of Memphis. So in the East, it went chalk uh, pretty easy. The West, it, it was just nuts. So it started out, uh, San Antonio had a pretty convincing win over, over the Loyal. Um, pre-match going in, you know, Landon Donovan, you know, talked about how uh, San Antonio was physical, pretty much up to the line of, you know, dirty. He didn't, he didn't call them dirty directly, but he heavily he sort of implied did. it. <laughs> he heavily implied it about, hey, they have, you know, you know, they foul. They're number one in cards. They don't know how to play the game. Um, you know, we have twice as many. You know, we had over tw- almost three times as many passes. I think, uh, you know, for that here, you know, over t- you know two and a half times of, of passes, possession. They don't want the ball. Blah 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 blah. You know, they're going to muck it up, you know, all that. Uh, San Antonio got goal in the 14th minute uh, off of a pretty assist by uh, Abu and, and Nathan headed it in. Um, you could question maybe the man marking by the loyal defense. And then they got another one, uh, the second goal. Uh, Patino uh, <clears throat> off of a couple of headers, uh, found it 2-0. And, you know, San Diego had the possession, had the passing, didn't really, you know, they had a couple opportunities. But, you know, San Diego or pardon me, San Antonio closed it out 2-0. Um, the game that's the, the you knew the West playoffs were going to go funky because the game that started about a half hour, hour after San Antonio, El Paso versus Oakland Roots um, was 0-0 at half. And I was like, man, that seems odd. Um, and then we got in the car. It was still 0-0 um, around the 70th, 70th minute. And uh, Oakland Roots ended up getting a goal uh, in this between the 75th, 80th minute, somewhere around there. Yeah, it was and, close to the 80th minute, I thought. And El Paso had not lost uh, all year um, at home. And uh, unfortunately, back-to-back uh, Western Conference finals, the Roots uh, ended the, uh, you know, derailed the, the locomotive and uh, moved on. Um, the next one was Orange County, Colorado Springs. What was interesting about this one, Colorado Springs, uh, you know, Orange County had a, 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 straight, a straight red card. And it was clear, kind of uh, last man, kind of, you know, with what happened, you know, in the Dallas-Austin uh, match. Um, but this one was, was, you know, there was no question uh, around the 30th minute. So, but Colorado Springs finished up a man, but they never really challenged. Um, you know, a lot of Switchbacks fans are still a little bit upset that they sold, uh, I think it was Naglina, um, to LAFC about two-thirds of the season in. And since then, their offense, you know, kind of sputtered. Haji Berry, you know, got to 25 but couldn't get any more. Um, Orange County, even down a man, got a goal late uh, to win 1-0 to move on. And then probably the best match of the night, uh, or best match of the first round, uh, Phoenix and RGV, 3-3, went to playoffs. Um, was 2-2 at the end of regular time. Uh, Rising got a goal in the 101st minute. Uh, RGV got a uh, soft PK, I guess you could say, uh, <laughs> by a uh, 41-year-old Vicente Sanchez, uh, and you know, you know, he got the call. Uh, RGV converted. They won in PKs. So uh, this upcoming week, uh, you've got uh, 
Orange County hosting uh, Oakland Roots, uh, California, uh, and Texas has San Antonio RGV, uh, Toyota Field, 8 o'clock. Uh, tickets are, I think, still available, but they're getting a little bit thin. Uh, sounds like that there's going to be a huge or, or, or a big uh, round of RG fans, uh, RGV fans coming up. Unfortunately, there was some discussions uh, of supporter groups not getting involved uh, or getting involved in, in not a good way. There was discussions of a supporters group was it El Baton uh, from Houston possibly coming over to help support uh, the Toros. Oh gosh! So uh, be, be careful there. Well, what SAFC's done, and, and I hate it, but I understand why. So San Antonio fans will be at the normal tailgate area. RGV fans is going to be close to you know Wardsbuck Parkway on the other side of the stadium. So for the first time that I can ever remember. Uh, they will, you know, the fans will be separated, um, the supporters will be separated. So it'll be kind of, it, you know, there, there's going to be a higher presence uh, of security. Uh, obviously, obviously, you know, I don't think as many of, of the Houston supporters groups coming over that, that originally had planned. Um, and like I said here, I know, you know, I know that um, there was some concern on our side of this, you know, some people maybe trying to start some funny stuff as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I said on our show, don't be an asshole. You know, you know these are two rivals. You know, San Antonio RGV. You know, for the ninety minutes, yeah, you can banter, go back for back and forth. But when the match is over, you know, not saying you got to hug it out, but you know, uh, you know, you know, don't be that guy that that you know gets arrested or you know does something to, to spark it, to spark an incident, and ruin it for everybody. So, so, so you got to explain <laughs> this one to me because I totally don't understand it. So. RGV, my understanding is that RGV and San Antonio have a good, fairly friendly rivalry. Am I mischaracterizing the way the fan groups interact? It's it's friendly, but out of all the the rivals, it's probably the one that's the most testy, if that makes sense. Okay. So if there is going to be any altercations, it would be with RGV. But it's not nearly as big of a problem as people have had with El Batallon out of Houston, right? No, Houston's the issue. No, 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 no. And there hasn't really been any incidents. But let's be honest, this, this is the biggest match between these two teams. Correct. This but my, is, que- my question for you is this, because RGV cut ties with Houston Dynamo. They're not mm-hmm. an affiliate anymore. And then... Houston Dynamo is going to go running to support them at the playoff match. That's almost like you get divorced and then go to your ex-wife's bachelorette party. I don't I understand, don't understand what it. Houston is doing in this. The El Batallon, I don't understand. Other than just looking for some it, ruckus well, to get into because their season's over. I'm not understanding why they're throwing them their hat in the ring here. And like I said, I don't think a lot of them are coming over. Like I said here, the, you know, I've talked with, with members of the Stampede. Um, they're not expecting as many to make the trip uh, than, than anticipated. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying they were starting things. The rumors that, that I had heard, the discussions that I had heard was more on our side. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we know with Austin FC, there's were a couple incidences with, with the Houston supporters group, both over in, in Houston and, um, you know, unfortunately at, at Q2 Stadium. Every time um, they were god awful. 
So I'm not here to say what, you know, good or bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I here to know. say it. They were just, I give them credit for bringing the people and bringing the noise and cheering their team, but pre and post match, they were just horrible to deal with. And I know it's just a very small subsection. I'm not wanting Correct. to cast the entire supporters group in this, but they seem to always have some percentage of that group that is a problem. And I'm not blaming them. Uh, trust me, I, I'm not putting this on them. I think the security con security concerns started on our side um, first. You well, know, that's ridiculous. San Antonio, be better. You're better than that. And I don't know if it was just all talk, you know, just, you know, stuff through here. The problem for San Antonio FC and RGV, you can't take that chance. And I've heard, you know, you know, in talking with Edson, you know, who, who works or, or who does down in the Valley and also does uh, the striker Texas, you know, from his understanding, there's going to be probably a couple of hundred, you know, fans that come up, not only just supporters, but fans, you know, probably two to 300, I guess, is, is going to be, you know, be coming up from, um, you know, you know, that's going to be supporting RGV. So I think from a security aspect, it's better to be cautious than, than to put everybody together. And, you know, as, as much as I hate it um, and, you know, have an incident. Cause if there's, if there's an incident, then that that's going to kill it for, you know, that's going to ruin the environment, you know, yeah, no matter what happens in the game, that will be the story. I get um, that. You know, so, you know, it sucks. It has to happen that way. Um, like, you know, I told down in the Valley, you know, you know, from my understanding, security is going to be higher. They're really not wanting a lot of fans commingling uh, in each other's section for this game. Um, you know, so it's it's one of those. It's it's not the typical, you know, well, it's it's not the typical setup normally that 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 we get like when it's Austin Bold or you know anything like that. Um, I think for San Antonio FC, you know, the security side, you got to be you got to err on the side of caution, you know, even if it's just people spouting off in today's environment, you know, something bad happens, you know, it's, you know, you know, who's going to get blamed because, you know, you know, uh, from my understanding, everybody, everybody kind of knew that there was something bubbling under the surface. Right. Well, I have to say, you know, let's be careful out there, everybody on uh, Saturday. Support your teams, cheer on your teams, but everybody be safe and and comport don't yourself. Be, don't be a gentleman. Just don't be a just, yeah. You don't want to be that guy that 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 ends up in jail over something stupid. And and as much as I love soccer, um, it's it's a family thing. You know, like I said here, I've, I've spoke with people that are like, "Hey, should I not bring a bring the family now?" I was like, "No, you should no. should definitely bring the family." Um, you know, you know, it's just anything in life. There, there's always right. one or two people that want to try to ruin it for everybody. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, you, you, you just can't take that chance. Right. I'm hoping to still maybe go over and see, but you know, like I said, I'll have to kind of test it out to see, Hey, you know, how, if it is going to be plausible really to do that, or if security is going to be like, no, they can't. So just, just be smart. Um, if you're a neutral, obviously the tel you know the Crocketeers tailgate still open to all, um, and you know like I said, I think I'm sure there's going to be some RG fan RGB fans that that come in, um, and, and we'll be you know over in, in over in our tailgate that may not be supporters uh, driven, um, but I do know that they are making a conscious effort to kind of keep the supporter groups 
separate from my understanding uh, in talking with Edson, uh, the Striker Texas is going to be there, is going to be doing uh, some sort of event pre and post uh, game there. So, uh, you know, like I said here, that, you, know, you know, I'll give credit to the Striker Texas. Uh, with no MLS to cover, they are stepping up, especially you know for you know for these two Texas teams. And I think, from my understanding, uh, for the Western Conference Final, um, that there will be coverage uh, by the Striker Texas as well. So, and the most important thing is, I will be there. You will be there, uh, something beside, uh, something behind me, most likely, because uh, I can't even get you on <laughs> our row. But I was able to get the snag two seats uh, behind me, so uh, through there and. I don't know if the first row will have open spots. Uh, I think, uh, as you're probably aware, um, yeah. everybody and their brother is going to be trying to uh, come to this game. So. Yeah, absolutely. It should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I have the West has kind of thrown me because I expected San Antonio to beat San Diego and be where they are. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I thought any of the other games would go the way they went, though. So I am a little bit surprised that RGV got through and then. San Antonio got the home match. So I I have one more question about this, though. There's like 200 and something, 230, 240 miles between uh, RGV and San Antonio, right? About four hours, yep. Okay, my, that was my question is, when you factor in all the mountainous roads coming down and going <laughs> up and down mountains and curving around, how long does that take to drive? It's about you can four still hours. do it in four hours? Yeah, it's about four to four. Four, four to four, four hours to four and a half hours, depending on, uh, you know, uh, you know how fast you push the pedal. Right. Well, be careful, everybody. Don't drive off the side of the mountains as you're coming from RGV to San Antonio in the mountain division. Yeah, the drive up's pretty easy. Um, the drive back at night, though, that's that's the one. You know, like when I go down, um, Monica has me stay, you know, wants us to stay overnight just, you know, just to drive back. It's It's not a hard drive. But no, I've made that drive many, many, many times. It's, and it's, it's not... one. It's it's one that it's basically it's a straight shot, and it's you know, very you, easy to fall asleep at the wheel. Very easy to fall asleep, and, right. and you know this is Texas. You know, you know uh, Saturday night, right. people coming home from uh, you know adult beverages at the bars and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah just be safe um, for all the RGV fans. You know, like I said here, uh, you know, like I said here. Uh, I know a lot of them are busting up, so they're not having to drive home. But if you are driving back, you know, because you know, it's an eight o'clock start. So you figure earliest the game most likely will end is 10. This is playoffs. So, you know, it could go to extra time in PK. So you could be looking at a three hour time frame. Um, and then that doesn't count any celebrations or, you know, crying, uh, you know, when RGV loses, um, you know, to go back. So you're looking what, 11 o'clock, you know, getting back into RGV, what, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, depending on, you know, stops and gas and that type of stuff. So, and where in the valley you live. So, yes. <laughs> um, but I'm just talking about HEV Park. It's about four, four and a half hours. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you're predicting a San Antonio victory. Oh, I, I, I think it's the series is close. Uh, it's, this will be the 21st uh, game between. Uh, San Antonio RGV. San Antonio's won seven times. RGV's won six times, and their six ties. I think, uh, I think San Antonio uh, gets this, and I, I think they get it pretty convincingly. Um, number one, Christian Sorto uh, of RGV is going to be, I think, in Honduras uh, playing for the national team. Correct. So that's a big miss. And then um, 
they had a, a, Fre a Freberg uh, from Cincinnati. He unfortunately was not eligible to play in the playoffs. So, you know, he got, you know, he had to go back to uh, Cincinnati because, it, you know, USL has a rule where there's a roster cutoff time. You had to play at least one game prior. Unfortunately, he did not make it, you know, make that one game prior. So he wasn't eligible for the playoffs. So for RGV, uh, they, are, you know, for firepower up top, they are missing a couple of key pieces. But, you know, you know, as I told, you know, Edson and as I told on our show, you know, this is a rival. You know, records go out the go out the record. Form goes out the record, uh, or goes out the window, and, and it's all about, you know, to me to me, um, can RGV handle uh, the, you know, handle the pressure? And I think what's the big difference on this one here, the back line of Ford, Tainter, and Kamiri is something that RGV has not seen. They're big. They're physical. They're quick. And I think there's a huge, a huge difference. And, you know, as I told you before, unfortunately, Matt Cardoni got hurt in the last match. They had to bring in an emergency goalkeeper, uh, Jordan Farr from Indy 11. And, you know, USL Tactics, uh, you know, uh, if you follow USL Tactics on Twitter, uh, looking at his ratings of him, he's just as good, if not possibly better than Matt. So uh, a lot of changes. Uh, you got to remember the last time that we faced each other was August 8th. So it's been over three months since these teams have played. And then assuming San Antonio comes out of that, they match up with uh, Oakland. So Orange County's hosting uh, Oakland. Orange County's only got, you know, I was on the Orange and Black soccer cast on Tuesday. Um, they only have one center back because uh, their center back got the red card and then they had a center back that got called to national team duty. So it'll be very interesting. However, Orange County's beat uh, um, or, uh, Oakland Roots, uh, you know, because they played four times. They've beat them pretty, pretty convincing four times. Now, I think it's hard to beat a team five times in a year, but uh, especially yeah, with players out like they have. So players um, out. Oakland's in good form. Um, so if Orange County wins, the Western Conference final is in California. If Oakland wins, the Western Conference final will be in Texas. So and unfortunately for MLS fans, if you want to watch playoffs, you have to come to USL because both all the Texas teams and all the California teams are setting home. That's absolutely true. Well, thanks for that. I'm very excited to see this matchup with San Antonio and RGV. So looking forward to that. And then we have a couple more weeks of USL to go. Yeah, the finals on the 28th. So the... Uh... You know, so they have the ones on the 13th. The 19th will be the finals, Western Conference final and Eastern Conference final. And then on ESPN on the 28th, which is a Sunday, uh, Thanksgiving uh, week weekend. Um, so that might make it a little bit hard travel wise because uh, the East will host, uh, you know, for that here. That's already been determined because the four remaining teams got more points than anybody in the West. So the East will host the uh, final will be played on ESPN at that time. And that will be before the first New England Revolution playoff. Game. Oh, that is true. <laughs> well, I uh, want to discuss a couple of things. We want to talk a little bit of NISA here on the program. So as our plethora of listeners might remember, both Rob and I selected NISA teams in the last episode that we were going to be supporting. 
uh, this season while we await a Texas NISA team. My team was Chicago House. So I've been watching some of the Chicago House games. They've been um, actually pretty good form. I did see them lose a game a while back to the uh, Maryland Bobcats. They scored first in that game, but ended up not being able to hold on. They lost that five to two. But since then, their last game was a victory over the LA Force, which shook up the standings. It catapulted them from ninth all the way up to fifth in the standings with that one result because everybody's so bunched up. Yeah, they ended up six now at this point here. Right. There's, there so, was an additional match, but yeah, they, they beat uh, LA Force 2-1 uh, for that here. Um, so, but yeah, between fourth and ninth is a difference of four points. Correct. So anything goes in, in NISA with about two weeks left in the season. We'll see what happens there. What's not in much doubt, but has gotten extremely interesting and what I think we want to talk about today a little bit is Rob's team, Detroit City. Now, Detroit City is the defending NISA champion. They've won everything. They're just whatever cup that they put in front of them, they've won. Right. And news broke earlier this week their announcement that they would be leaving NISA and joining USL Championship next season? Correct. So for 2022. I have heard from the league their take on this, which is that Detroit City had committed to them for 2022 and has already been submitted as part of their um, Sanctioning. sanctioning documents for 2022 and the announcement prior to the end of the season has thrown the league a bit off as far as they've alleged it mucks with the competitive nature of the league by announcing before the end of the season. I just have to know from a USL person what do you think about this move before I give my opinion? I want to hear yours. So I'll do two things. So let's, let's address the NISA part first. Okay. There is, there is no competitive integrity issues on here. Detroit City's already won the league. They're not doing playoffs for this one because they're switching to uh, a spring fall schedule. So they're not doing a fall championship is my understanding. So as far as for the integrity of the league, Detroit City's already said, hey, we will play the last two matches. Well, but they didn't because the next well, match has actually been canceled. <laughs> yes. by one. So I didn't know this, but there is two groups that make up the ownership of NISA that own, you know, one group uh, owns 40%. LA Force is the other side that owns 40% as well. Uh, Detroit City was scheduled to play uh, LA Force um, after the announcement. You know, LA Force said that the game unfortunately had to be canceled due to COVID. Um, you know, hopefully LA Force, you know, players and staff are healthy and along those lines. But perception-wise, that's not. I'll just say perception-wise, it, it it looks odd. We, 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 we will say. 
Correct. And then um, Nisa awarded a 0 0 tie for that match. How? Yes, a 0 0 tie. Does so, that happen? Do you have an explanation for that? The home team supposedly cannot play the match because of COVID issues. The league determines it will not be rescheduled and a 0 0 tie awarded, and both teams get one point. That to me is also odd. We'll just. We'll leave. We'll leave it at odd. Nisa Nisa put out a a statement that even if you're a Nisa fan, you're like, "What are you doing?" Right. Um, it just it was very poorly written. Uh, you know, my good friend, you know, Ron Patel put out another statement. You know, saying, you know, put out the right statement. You know, <laughs> you know, like when Oakland Roots left. There, you know, when Oakland Roots left, you know, it was, you, you know, you you could you could you could tell that they were disappointed, but they didn't burn the bridge. Right. With this one here, you know, it was almost like, hey, you're not breaking up with me. I'm breaking up with you. You know, you know, type of thing. There. So there is a couple. You know, now on the USL side, <clears throat> they hit a home run. You know, Detroit City is one of those teams that they're, they're like the cosmos. They move the needle. You know, you know, if, if you're a soccer fan, you know, Detroit City and they they have branding that's worldwide. You know, they, they can bring international uh, friendlies in, you know, the, the the Northern Guards, probably one of the top, you know, supporter groups, especially in lower leagues. Um, the atmosphere you know, on a game day for Detroit City uh, is top of the, you know, you know, is, is probably, you know, is one of the top five, like I said, top 10, just, just to be you know fair. Uh, I said top 10 in the United States and that includes, uh, you know, MLS. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great get for uh, Detroit or, or for USL, but there is a couple of things that need to kind of pay attention. Number one, there is a cutoff time, um, which this happened afterwards. Um, which which gives credence to what Nisa is saying that this you know that, that the sanctioning you know this happened after the sanction because I think sanctioning you know the cutoff time was at some point in August if you're going to be playing in the in the spring um, you know you know for a league which I think at that time is when you had it so that tells me that Detroit City had to get the right cannot be an expansion team per se it tells me that they're they acquired the rights to somebody's spot in, in the league. Now, whether that's Charlotte's, whether that's Vegas, whether that's um, Rochester Rhinos as an example, that's to be determined. Austin Bold? Well, Austin Bold has been reported <laughs> that it's gone to Fort Worth. But, it's been reported, know, but I mean. But yes, there there possibly could be. Um, so there, there's there's that dynamic that I had heard about earlier. The Nisa comes back, and, and I believe that I believe Nisa on their sanctioning that they put that Detroit City was going to come in, you know, going to come in. Here's the issue: Do you really think number one, Nisa needs to be very, very careful? Um, and the reason why I say that is Detroit City is not a club that goes quietly. It's it's outside of Phoenix and Tampa, you know, along those lines. You know, like I think if 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 you know, I'll use San Antonio as a, as as a comparison. If 
San Antonio was switching leagues and they knew dirty laundry. I doubt San Antonio is the type of organization that would air that dirty laundry to fight, fight for what they want. Detroit city will Detroit city, you know, you know, it's, it's all about doing the, what's right for the club. And if I'm Nisa, I want you got to tread carefully because there's, it hasn't been confirmed, but there's a lot of reporting that financially they may or may not be paying the refs on time. And I know there was reports of, Hey, it's through there. There may or may not be paying the trophy company uh, through there. And, you know, there's just, there's just some sketchiness that's in, in Nisa. And, you know, we'll just leave it at that. Cause I don't know all the details, but, and to me, and I'll ask you this, why would you want Detroit city back? Well, uh, because they're two-time defending champions and have probably the best fan base in the league. But this is a situation that to me, this is, this is my opinion on the whole situation. I think this is one of those rare situations where every person, every entity, every, everyone involved comes off worse because of this move. So, and I mean that from Detroit City, I mean that with USL, and I mean that with NISA. I think all of them take a hit with this type of move. I think Detroit City has now contradicted their branding. I think yes, yes and no. I mean the the Nisa that the Nisa angle is obvious. They came across as a little bit petty with their response to this, but they also lose their flagship team. I mean, other than the Cosmos, who didn't play this year, right? Well, Chattanooga um, is probably the other. Chattanooga is probably the other. So, I mean, that's maybe LA Force moves the needle at this point as well. No. Um, and maybe Chicago House will get there one day. However, if you were to look at Nisa and say, what's the team that has that impact? It's going to be Detroit City right yes. now. So they obviously come out worse for this move and they didn't handle it in the best way either, which makes them look even worse in this whole transaction. However, USL, and this is not something that's coming even directly from me. I've seen it from multiple sources. They're coming across a bit MLSE, if I can put it that way. So you have a large fan base in USL. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I think San Antonio fan base, there's a segment of this as well, which is anti-MLS. MLS is monopolizing and harming soccer in the United States. Is that fair to say? Yeah, there, there's a soccer war coming. Or, well, it's, it's already started. Correct. The it's, perception of USL is somewhat that they're doing that as well. So they are MLS light in the way they approach these Here's things. the difference, though. USL is going to be putting up a vote for ProRail in, at the winner's meeting next month. It's already been, it's already been publicized. I've talked to a couple of owners within the league. There's some things that they have to iron out, but the expectation is, is that it's most likely going to, it's going to get passed. Now what it looks like along those lines, it's still a closed league along those lines, but who poaches <clears throat> other leagues teams. So here's the issue with that. MLS poaches U USL. Right. There's no dispute. Correct. 
Now, whether they take the team directly like St. Louis or not, because they killed St. Louis FC by, I'm not going to say it was dirty or not, because the owner, you know, if the ownership didn't know what they were getting involved in, that's on them. Um, but uh, initially when uh, St. Louis was being announced, uh, Scott Gallagher, the, the St. Louis FC, uh, was part of that group. And then all of a sudden when it became final, they weren't part of it. Hey, St. Louis FC is going away. So, you know, Chris Castle, you know, put it right. U.S. soccer is acting how U.S. soccer wants it to do, mm-hmm. where the bigger leagues, the more stable leagues, and this is the problem for NISA in, in, in that you saw it with Oakland Roots. You're seeing it with Detroit City. You know, I think Maryland Bobcats is probably the next, uh, you know, next one that, that, you know, if they continue on the trend, Chicago House possibly if, if – you know they've got a little they've got a little bit of stuff that they need to get in order uh, to be able you know to be able to do um, you know along those lines, but the well-run clubs in NISA are getting plucked into higher leagues. There, there's no question which which is USL um, at at this point. So it's almost like, a, but that's how US Soccer's wants it, and, and you know I find it disgusting and. and uh, I think most fans, I think even MLS fans, you know, are open to an open system. I think majority of them are. Now you've got your diehard saying, hey, MLS is, you know, MLS is, is, is the only way to go. You know, you, you know, the closed system is the only way to go. I, I don't really hear that. <laughs> I, I don't. There's, maybe there's there are few, some people, but I don't but, see that as a prevailing philosophy in the United States. You, you, you probably know this better than anybody. Soccer from the mid '90s isn't even comparable to what it is nowadays. Correct. You know, it's it's night and day. MLS doesn't need doesn't need you know the help from US you know US soccer anymore. USL doesn't need the help from MLS anymore, and that's why they've kind of you know broke ties. And, and you know, let's be honest when when NASL and USL broke apart many many years ago what stabilized usl was mls and the mls to right. partnership now yes. what a lot of people don't realize is mls was going to go with nasl initially until there was a change in commissioner and and the new commissioner came in and said no or you know that's not what we want you know you know they brought in the cosmos and and you know you know NS, nasl 2.0 came and went um while usl stabilized you know i think what their first couple of years where they had what, all the puerto rico teams and you know you know you know they were burning teams burning up teams left and right you know to, to try to get stable it just it was it was like upsl but you know you know nowadays uh um, oh those puerto rico islanders i miss those games well they were nasl but usl had a puerto rico division they had they had you know it's just it's it's you know but what usl got right and this is the problem with NISA is you can be club club focused, club run, but you've got to have a strong league office. And NASL does not ha- did not have that, and NISA does not have that. And if you don't have that strong league office, <sighs> cracks cracks build up. It, it does not, you know, you've got what 10 teams this year with Detroit City. They're bringing in four more next year. To 
you know, to have 14 people, even if you all agree on, on the majority of stuff, there's going to be issues where you don't agree. And that's where you need that strong, you know, strong leadership at the league office to be able to do that. And, and that's the problem with NISA is, is if they would have kind of kept their head down and, and COVID doesn't help. So, you know, let's keep, keep that in mind is, is they're also working through COVID. Correct. Is if they would have kept their head down and said, Hey, let's kind of build a strong foundation. You know, you had the Cosmos, you had Detroit city, you had Chattanooga and you started in, in LA force and Cal, you know, Cal United strikers have been very, very good teams. Now they're not name brands, but they're very solid teams. You had a great core, but instead of focusing on that, you know, they wanted to partner with UWS and that fell apart, you know, to start a women's league. Then, you know, it was what, uh, what WISL, the, you know, you know, along those lines that it, they announced it. And I don't think I've heard anything since then. Um, you know, NISA league, I think is a great idea. And, and Mr. Patel's working on it uh, from my understanding, he, you know, he's doing it. And I think that's a good thing, but that's a secondary focus. Mm-hmm. They, they just they tr- they tried to grow too fast instead of getting that foundation for that you know for there to where hey you, you keep your nose down low that's what usl did is they kept their nose down low they got they built that foundation and then they got too they got stable and they got too big to where neat were nasl at the time and ussf could not ignore hey okay this team's this league's on the rise now USL is not perfect by any means. There's, you know, you know, there's a lot of things. If I was commissioner, I'd change. But there's a battle with U.S. soccer. Um, I do think that, and this is just my opinion, I do think that we're coming up to a soccer wars. Probably, I don't know if it'll happen before the World Cup, but I can definitely see it after the World Cup, where MLS is going to be wanting to implement their minor league system, kind of very similar to like the baseball setup, right? And USL. I know it's franchised. I know that, but, and you've seen this, it, it's not a cookie cutter franchise. You know, it's not like MLS where, you know, you've got 15,000 rules that you have to follow USL. Yeah. You, you know, you, there's some stuff that you have to do from the league, right? There's only 12,000 rules for USL, but, but on a club level, you don't have all those rules. Like, you know, USL is not coming down and saying supporters groups can't do X supporters groups can't do Y at least at this point. Now, could that change? You know, of course um, that that's going to be the interesting thing to me is you're to me. It almost seems like you're working on two different leagues, you know, two different, you know, and this is what you're hinting at two different paths. You can go the minor league system or you can go the USL system. Um, <clears throat> but I do think at some point, Something's going to have to happen between the two, uh, just for the fact that, you know, you've got what, 60 teams or, or probably 40, 50 teams right now in between League One and USL uh, Championship. Um, when you start seeing teams from USL go to either MLS Reserve League, whatever you want to call it, or if MLS starts a D2 League, which in my opinion, I think they will do, maybe right. not immediately, but I do believe that's what they will do. I think that's where you're going to see the issues. That's why I think for USL, the bottom line, getting Detroit City, um, I hope they get the Cosmos. Um, I don't think there's any chance they ever get the Cosmos. I do. I do. Now, I don't think they get the Cosmos until that case is is settled with Rocco. 
And then I think at that point, Rocco sells it. And then whoever, you know, whoever buys the team at that point. Well, but, I guess, I guess that's the possible. Cause Rocco, aspect. the Cosmos basically are on hold right now, pending the, the results of that lawsuit. Okay. That's, just, and, and it sucks if you're a Cosmos fan, um, you know, cause Rocco really hasn't, you know, he got his team over in Italy, you know, and, you know, outside of, you know, paying the, paying the attorneys, I don't think he has any interest in, in U.S. soccer anymore. So, but uh, Detroit City's won everything. It's, you know, you know, they have a, a interesting three San Antonio uh, affiliates in there. Maxi Rodriguez, who's from San Antonio. Uh, they have uh, uh, Pato, uh, who played at Corpus Christi, mm-hmm. uh, went to school, I think, in St. Mary or went to college in St. Mary's. And then uh, they had a goaltender, Armando Quisetta or something like that. That's their backup that's uh, played with uh, San Antonio FC or through there. So there is connections. Uh, we, are, we are way over time here, but I, I do <laughs> want to sneak in a little bit of uh, Rob and I's favorite topic, which would be CONCACAF. <laughs> Continúan las eliminatorias de la CONCACAF rumbo a Qatar y con un partido súper interesantes, empezando por el de Honduras contra Panamá, para ver si en estos momentos Honduras empieza a levantar y busca un lugar en esos tres clasificados directos, seguido del partido no menos importante donde Estados Unidos recibe a México con un clima un poco frío y con la obligación de México de ganar los tres puntos para sacarse esa espina que tiene clavada de las dos copas anteriores que les ha ganado. Después también viene Canadá y Costa Rica, Canadá tratándose de afianzar en esos tres lugares con un Costa Rica que viene peleando desde abajo. Y por último el partido de la jornada 7, El Salvador contra Jamaica, donde también siguen con las posibilidades muy mínimas El Salvador y Jamaica, pero no pueden echar la eliminatoria a perder desde ahorita. Después la jornada 8 seguirá con el martes 16 de noviembre con los partidos Jamaica recibiendo a Estados Unidos, donde creo yo que Jamaica ya quizá estaría eliminada y Estados Unidos podría lograr afianzarse en esos tres lugares. Viene el partido, el partido de Costa Rica contra Honduras, donde si Honduras gana su partido anterior de la jornada 7, creo que será muy importante y saldrá muy motivado para ganarle a Costa Rica en su casa y así poder ir remontando posiciones en la tabla. Termina, termina esta jornada 8 de las eliminatorias con el partido Panamá contra El Salvador y bueno, 
De aquí pasamos a la Liga MX, donde ya se acercan las, la liguilla de finales, donde el Club América, que viene un poquito a la baja, eh, calificó en primer lugar de líder, seguido por el León, que viene a la alta. Atlas se mantuvo, hizo una temporada muy constante y Tigres también viene a la alta en las últimas fechas. Se logró colar entre los cuatro clasificados directos. Y bueno, acabando ya con este segmento de CONCACAF y más, no se olviden que la selección mexicana estará presente en nuestra ciudad en Austin, Texas, la primera semana de diciembre y tendremos una sorpresa donde el, el Lobos de nuestro buen amigo David estará rifando dos boletos para entrar al estadio a ver a la selección mexicana contra Chile eh, con una promoción que hace Lobos obviamente para, para recaudar fondos para, su, para sus temporadas y que hace muchas obras a beneficio entonces vamos a ayudarlos, el costo del boleto es 5 dólares en la rifa de dos boletos para entrar a ver el partido entre México y Chile que será aquí en nuestra ciudad de Austin, Texas vamos a apoyar esta causa de, del Club Lobos y comprando muchos boletos eh, es muy barato por 5 dólares te puedes ganar esa, esa magnífica oportunidad de presenciar el partido en vivo y será una experiencia muy bonita, vamos a apoyar a Lobos y a comprar muchos boletos. Más adelante les estaremos dando la información en dónde poder este, comprar los boletos de la rifa. Gracias. Los saluda su amigo Felo González y se despide. Hasta la próxima en un segmento de CONCACAF y más. We're in the international window. We've got US-Mexico coming up. Uh, we've got I'm very interested. I think this is a make or break window for El Salvador. I've been high on them, but they've had some bad luck, but they get uh, Jamaica and Panama coming up. I think they need. The problem is Jamaica's uh, full strength now. Uh, right. So that's why I say, I think this is kind of make or break for them. If they can't get points out of this window, they're looking like they're in trouble. Honduras has a new coach coming on. Uh, we'll see if that makes a huge difference. I get mixed input from my contacts in Honduras as to what they think. Most people, I think, have resigned themselves that they're out of it for this cycle. Sorry. But there is some optimism that maybe with the coaching change, maybe they can pull things around. And, you know, they get a couple of victories. All of a sudden, they're sitting on eight points. They're not out of it at that stage. Um, um, I think too many teams to jump um that is the problem already that's the issue right that's the problem um and then u.s mexico matchup what are your thoughts on u.s mexico i mean i've got my thoughts on the united states but how do you see this game coming up in cincinnati on friday night tickets are outrageous so great job u.s soccer um well and they always are right <laughs> so stefan's starting because it's in ohio right um politics on the bench which right I, and uh, that was a weird thing to announce at this point in time but i still like us um now whether they get the win i think at worst they tie um but it would you know i don't think mexico wins no um you know for that here i i, I think the us um i know they start out slow but this is only a two two window thing here um I think with Pepe most likely starting or, or hopefully he's starting. Um, I think he is a difference maker. Um, and who do you think, who do you think starts with him? That's my question. Oh, cause I have my opinion on that and I'm, I hope it's 
Timothy Weah. But I don't believe it's going to be Timmy Weah. I think it's going to be Ariola. <laughs> and I say that because it's Greg Berhalter. I have zero confidence in his ability to not put in mediocre MLS players into the starting line. Well, I think Weah is going to start. I think Pepe, um, but I think it's the other side. If you don't have Pulisic, you know, I think it's got to be Arison, right? One would hope, but that's why I say I have no – if you were to tell me today it's going to be Wea, Pepe, and Aronson, I would say, okay, yes, I can see the U.S. winning that game. With I just McKinney have no, and Musa, yeah. I have no, no confidence that that's what we're actually going to see. I think so. I, I hope – that 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 he does. I just don't know who who you who who you'd put in if it's if it's not. You know, I think Wea gets it. You think Ariola gets it over over Aronson? I am saying that that is the track record from Berhalter. Is he's going to stick in Ariola? Zardis is not there, so he can't put Zardis in. Mm-hmm. So Ariola started two out of three the last time. He played all three matches. Uh, Legette's probably going to be in there at some point. Uh, he could stick Christian Roldan. I mean, yeah, I think I don't. I don't think all I don't of think these. You, I don't think you start. I don't think you start. I, it, I think Pepe up top. I think you know Aaron Center, Ariola. You know, is there? You know, you know, it's not Pulisic. Correct. So you're you're basic to me. I think you're you're trying to get to the second half. And then you bring on you bring on Pulisic and, and if you need him, um, which most likely which most likely you will. But you figure what McKinney's going to be starting Musa. You think Musa starts or you think Legette starts? I think Musa starts, but again, I I can see a scenario where if he puts, like you said, Wea, Pepe, and Aronson, that he'll stick Legette in then because I just don't have any confidence that he's not going to stick one of those players in. I think he just has to every single game. Every time I watch the U.S. men's national team, he does that. He sticks in one of those mediocre MLS players who people scratch their heads as to why they're still in the roster. It's a Zardes. It's a Jackson Yule. It's a Legette. It's a – although Legette I see some utility to, but not as a starter in this type of scenario. He sticks in a Christian Roldan or a Ariola or a could do a calf to keep going. <laughs> I mean, he always does it every single game. So which one's he going to do this week is my question. If he does none of that, then I think we win because I think the talent wins out. Although I do have concerns about right back. I do have concerns about not calling in Brooks. Um, But I guess that's my question. Brooks hasn't been in good form, though. That's that's the issue. Well, okay. Who who do you think he starts at right back is the next question. I mean, we're going to figure this out in 24 hours. So let's <laughs> let's get predictions. So I think on, center backs okay. Richard and well, Robinson is, is Robinson there. Da, 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 da. Yeah, uh, is Rob, Robertson's done there, right? Miles Robertson, yeah. So yeah, he's on the roster. Yeah, so Miles Robertson, Richards, and then Scaly, because Scaly, Joe Scaly's been in good form. 
I agree, but he's but never I, been called he, he into hasn't the started US yet. national team camp before. So are you going to start him you for the first Yed, game? You putting in Yedlin? That's 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 the other option. The Reggie Cannon. Reggie Cannon. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of the problem we get. I go, to I go with Scaly. These I, go with Scaly. I, go, I go with Scaly, and then on the other side. Um, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I would probably, if it were me, go with Scaly. But the problem is, he's going to be playing for the first time in that system for the first time with those players. He's never been in a camp before this week so is that i guess I still, I still put them out there i still okay well you would and i would let's see what greg does but i do think greg goes with yeah with yedlin I, I... <laughs> and hey i'm a big i'm a huge fan of deandre yedlin i think he gets more grief than is warranted many times i think he's a better player than some people want to give him credit for i'm Okay, if Gedlin starts this game. However, I don't think that's our best right back at this stage with the U.S. men's national team. I think Gedlin's more attacking than defending. He's got some defensive issues that he's got to work through. Here's the issue, though, because you have to look at yellow cards. Gedlin, if he gets a yellow card, misses the uh, Jamaica game. Same with Adams and McKinney. Um, that's that's where maybe I can, that's why I kind of put Scaly, uh, Joe Scaly, a little bit of, of, of an advantage, maybe, is you want to try to come away with four points, right? Ideally. No, ideally, you would want to come away with six points, but <laughs> if, but when you're playing Mexico, I think the expectation is to get at least one. I would accept that re- rationale, yes. Or you get the win against Mexico, you're going to go on a high, going to Jamaica. Jamaica's kind of a kind of an interesting one. Yes, they're getting their players back, but it's not going to be the normal away match just because only 5,000 vaccinated fans are going to be allowed in the stadium. Mm-hmm. It's a weird 4 o'clock kickoff um, as well. So, you know, if you're working, you know, I think that's what, Monday or Tuesday, I forget which day, probably Tuesday, right? Monday, Tuesday. Um if you're working, uh, yeah, you, you know, sneak out of work or you know, you know, bring the laptop to where you can you know, kind of follow because it's an afternoon game. I mean, my opinion as a U.S. men's national team fan, with the current talent pool that we have, is that we should be able to beat everybody in CONCACAF at home. And that, oh, would, I agree. that would include Mexico. Now, I don't expect to go down to the Azteca and get points. But I think if you're playing at home, you should be able to get points against Mexico with this talent pool. When you go on the road, it's a little bit different, but I don't buy into this. CONCACAF is such a terribly hard place to play that it's hard to get points on the road. No, you should go get points against Jamaica. You should go get points against Panama. You should get points against Costa Rica right now because Costa Rica is not that good with the exception of Kaylor Navas. How bad would they be if they didn't have Kaylor Navas? They would be probably not even in this last round of qualifying if they did not have Kaylor Navas. He's just absolutely saved them. So I look at two games in this window and say, yes, would you take a point against Mexico? Sure. 
I would take a point against Mexico. Well, here, here's but the then reason. you got to go get the victory in Jamaica. You got to get so points. But if you get a, a win against Mexico and then go tie against Jamaica, no, that's not acceptable either to me. If you get four points, I think that sets up the United States in a good position because let's be honest, Mexico has their toughest set right now because they play us and then they travel to Canada for the other other match. So they play two away matches on this one here against the top, you know, two out of the top three teams, you know, in CONCACAF. So it's possible if if the United States and Canada could win, you know, could win, you know, both of those matches that U.S. leapfrogs Mexico and Canada moves moves up quite a bit as well. So um, that's what that's what makes this round interesting is you've got the heavyweights going against each other, you know, Mexico and Canada and U.S. and Mexico. So, Well, it's going to be an exciting week, that's for sure. We'll see what Greg rolls out um, against Mexico and go USA. Go USA and uh, is it on ESPN tomorrow or Fox? The other, the other's a uh, Paramount ESPN. So it's an ESPN game tomorrow. Um, the Jamaica game is on Paramount Plus. So, which I actually have, so I can watch that game at four in the afternoon. <laughs> There's also a game coming up in December here in Austin, Q2 Stadium, Mexico versus Chile. The Lobos Youth Academy is going to have a fundraiser. We'll be raffling off two tickets for the game. Uh, go on to our website or social media if you're interested. It's $5 per ticket. There will be a maximum amount of tickets sold. So you've got a really good shot if you haven't been able to afford the tickets that are pretty much sold out. I think this is a good opportunity and it's a good cause to go help our Lobos Youth Academy. Uh, All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. Vicarious hello to Rob. I really appreciate you stepping in, Harry. And uh, do you have any last anytime. words for our fans out here? No, uh, it's a, it, you know, it's going to be an interesting off season for the silly season. Um, I already see, you know, a lot of chatter about uh, Austin FC with the MLS free agents uh, being announced here. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Hopefully San Antonio, in my opinion, hopefully San Antonio is able to, you know, get the win and be able to advance. Um, but if RGV gets the win, hopefully that, you know, they represent uh, Texas well. And uh, David, it's, it was a pleasure being on, um, you know, third night doing podcasts here. So <laughs> I think I'm talked out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, save up your voice for uh, Saturday night, San Antonio. Will do. That's going to do it for us today. I want to thank our sponsor, Tanya Rosamond, as always. And we'll see you next time on Kicking Grass. Kicking Grass.